Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about you? Yeah, I've got some energy right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but let's see. All right, let's get stuck into it. Barber, we're recording on Tuesday after the race, so relatively quick for us. Quick turnaround. Kirby, I'll let you have a swing at it first. Anything that's stuck out to you about the race? My biggest thought about the race is my... Age-old rant that I haven't got to try it out this season yet, but uh, I mentioned before that I hate fuel saving. Oh, God. Did you notice in the first five laps of the race when somebody was actually trying to pass somebody, poor old Alex Bilal, actually trying to pass Grosjean for the lead, and Townsend Bell and James Hinchcliffe were scolding him for making the effort to try to make a pass and then how that was going to ruin his race. Did you notice that? I did. I'm like, Kirk- what, kind of, what kind of product are you putting out here where you're telling people from lap one? I'm going to answer that question. Strategery, I get it, but still, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. It was a strategic race. Now, last time we were lamenting that they should have made Long Beach longer, so it could have been a strategic race. But then here we have a strategic race, and then in a strategic race, you know, fuel savings going to come into, you know, tire wear and fuel savings going to come in. Now, that's more of a Formula One type of race in some ways. I know you don't like that. So, I mean, I, I think the first path you have to choose is do you want just a shorter distance where it's going to be definite number of stops and everybody's just going to be going you know hell for leather or do you want something where there's potential strategies in there in a little longer race where you know some people might do two or three now i favor the latter you might not but i'm going to take you to task here at the curve a little bit because you always say just take out the damn fuel knob Nice. No, you still say that, yes. But that doesn't solve the problem of Palau attacking or not attacking. Fuel knob or no fuel knob, he's going to drive more conservatively and save more fuel. He'll he'll lay off the accelerator and so forth. It won't. The fuel knob wouldn't matter. They'd still be trying to save fuel. But you could, if you couldn't change the fuel mixture and it was strictly related to the driver's ability to to, to make fuel with his with his driving style, then I think there'll be a lot fewer strategies where from lap one, we are going to save fuel and don't try to pass anybody. All right. Well, I didn't see it that way, and and I like the strategy part of it. So I think that's where you and I part ways on this one. Somebody tunes in and the announcers say, man, you're an idiot for trying to make a pass for the lead. Then then I'm going to say, well, what am I watching for? Yeah, I agree. It's not the best thing to commentate on, especially the way they say it. But that's what they do. So other than that... um, how about you? Did you notice that the guy starting the race said, gentlemen, start your engines? I didn't notice that, but uh, I wish I had. I can't believe you of all people didn't notice that, Kurt. Who was the Grand Marshal? The uh, ESPN guy that covers SEC football. Paul Feinbaum, yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> Do you think that when Graham Rahal surveys their performance at Barber vis-a-vis Mr. Lungard, do you think Graham looks in the mirror or not? The Ed Carpenter model of uh, driver owner only at select races I want to do anymore uh, probably appeals to him at this point, yes. I have to agree. Now, how old's Graham? I want to say mid-30s. 1989. It's 34. So Graham is 34, 6'3". I mean, he's been in IndyCar since he was like 18, right? Yeah, it um, seems like he's been around forever. 34 is hardly... 
yeah, aging out, but he does. Appear. I mean, if you didn't have Lungard in there kind of showing up the other two, you would say, oh, it's just a team thing. But this one, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. I'm not ready to declare this as fact yet, but I'm watching. Ray Hall's made allusions to the that kind of future for him, I think, as recently as uh, this past offseason. I'm not suggesting that out of uh, malice or, or uh, criticism. I just think it's he's got a lot of businesses going, got some kids now. I think he's starting to look to the next phase already, just based on his comments in the offseason. The last few years, and even this year, he hasn't driven that bad. But, man, you got to qualify, and you got to be up there. And Lungard just showed the other two up this uh, race. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, I mean, Lungard's not exactly set the world on fire this year either. Uh, I think this track certainly, uh, you know, fit his uh, style. Kerbob, the other thing that I wondered about is that uh, Grosjean blew an engine in the first practice, right? Right. And Power lamented, I think, after qualifying that he had an old kind of broke-ass tired engine that was a mile and a half Tenth and a half uh, sh- slower than the other cars, right? On the, on the straightaways, yeah. On the straight. Right. So Grosjean obviously threw a new engine in his car, and I'm wondering if that explains, at least in part, the qualifying result. What do you think? And Grosjean has been as consistently strong as anybody in the series so far this year. He was competitive at Texas. He was right there at uh, Long Beach. The only thing that points to perhaps that being in a – an extra boost for him at, at Barber is that his teammates didn't qualify well, didn't really perform well in the race either. He was kind of the outlier. Yeah, I'm not uh, trying to take anything away from him. I still think you got to drive the, the snot out of the car to get pole. Yeah. But if he's picking, let's just, taking Will Powers in reverse, if he's picking up a tenth, tenth and a half uh, because he has a new engine, that's going to help you get pole. No, I, it's, it's certainly a possibility. Um, I'm just saying that he's been there all year. Uh, Grosjean ends up second, uh, primarily, I would say, due to a strategy choice, which turned out not to be the right one. He's had a bunch of seconds, Curb. I believe there was an article written on it. And the interesting thing about the article uh, was not going through Grosjean's uh, you know, exploits and his numerous seconds uh, through the years. To me, the thing that stuck out is Vitor Mira. How many second places do you think Vitor Mira had? Well, apparently quite a few. He had eight. I think he was uh, known as the bridesmaid and never the bride, wasn't he? I don't remember that at all. I wouldn't have said he had eight top tens, much less eight seconds. He was on the dark side of the split, so I didn't really pay that much uh, attention. That's a good point. I didn't think about that too much. Another damning comment about the IRL. Right. Uh, did you notice, have you noticed the per- pernicious encroachment upon IndyCar by uh, F Formula One as the year goes on. What are, what are you referring to, Curb? Well, during the race, uh, I noticed T- Townsend Bell using the term box instead of pit, which I find annoying. Um, there was an article about the race, and the headline was uh, something, to, something, something, lights to flag. It wasn't flag to flag. It was lights to flag. So slowly coming on, even when there are no lights to start an IndyCar race, they still use the headline lights to flag. And in a series that's used pits and pit stop for 100 years plus, all of a sudden now it's got to be called a box. 
So again, my little my alarm bell goes off uh, to see these little things happening. Well, thanks for pointing that out, Curb. You missed the gentleman start your engines, but you sure didn't miss that. Let's get to that later. Drive to, sur- drive to survive for less. Let's go. Drive to survive for less, uh, what has been renamed 100 Days to Indy. By the way, did you find the CW app a bit wonky? I guess not, no. Okay, I did. I, I watched it on my computer and just maneuvering around, trying to go back in time and stuff, I found wonky. I, mean, I did it on the TV. Um, it seemed like any other streaming okay. service on the TV. And that that just might be the difference. But uh, okay, where are you at with this show so far? One episode in. <laughs> well, it's not made for you or me, right? So we're the we're the diehards. So there wasn't much new in there other than I couldn't have picked Joseph Newgarden's wife out of a lineup before, but now I can. Never met, never seen Scotty McLaughlin's wife before, so now I've seen her. They came off fairly well. Uh, Likeable fellows. Seems like I've seen plenty of. Marcus Erickson's uh, girlfriend, now wife. Um, and w- and I want to see more. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see more or not. I, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, showing these guys off track, uh, whatever. New Garden's uh, getting buff and showing off the pecs and uh, his his child and all these kind of things and um, talking extensively to the wife. Same thing with McLaughlin. I mean, not showing off McLaughlin's pecs or anything, but a uh, fair amount of time uh, showing his what he does off track and, and with his family and so on. And then you go to Marcus Erickson and they're ordering room service in a high-end hotel. <laughs> it was just like uh, they moved on to him being the forgotten man or the overlooked man or something. But um, so I don't think she came off that well in their little 10 seconds they gave her on the show. I was a little bit disappointed in um, the way they attempted to convey drama at the St. Pete race. Didn't invest the time. I don't think or the energy and, and it really, Showing the drama that happens in qualifying and, and in the race. I mean, for example, somehow they just buzz to the end and Erickson gets around Apato and they nonsensically say something about his engine or something. But they didn't yeah, show the fact a- that they don't show the fact that he's been hounding him for five or ten laps or whatever, that he'd gone from five seconds back to on his gearbox and and build up any drama to it. You know, it's just like, oh, this happened, blah, blah, blah. And if we just listen to Lee Diffie scream enough, we'll get the get the uh, idea that it was dramatic. This is the point, Curb, where you say, what did you think, Justin? So uh, with that said, Justin, how do you feel about it? Well, thanks for asking, Kerb. Right. I felt like the first third, if not half of the show, was just kind of setting the table a little bit. And obviously to somebody as in deep as we are, I found it a bit tedious. Sure. Uh, because it's stuff you already know. And like you said, we're not the target audience. So I can forgive that. I just... I'm not sure that's the way you're going to grab a bunch of eyeballs that are just kind of casually flipping through the channels, if that's the terminology you use anymore. You want to really kind of want to draw them in early with something, right? And I think Formula Drive to Survive, you know, does that, right? They they allude to drama. They they do a really good job of kind of sucking you in early, okay, before they can get into the whatever the minutia. And I understand what they were trying to do, but again, to somebody that's going to give it three minutes, show something a little more dramatic, I guess. Maybe after Newgarden takes off his shirt, maybe when he takes off his pants, for example. <laughs> right. Right. Unlike you, I found Newgarden's, uh, as I always have, coming across as unlikable. You know, he just kind of came across as arrogant and... Uh, very full of himself. I didn't like the part where McLaughlin goes to Grosjean and hugs it out. 
that's a very anti-drive to survive, right? I agree. Um, I was, I was going to bring that up later. If I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think even if they did do that, I, I wouldn't have shown that. Robin Miller is always fond, fond of saying, you know, you want some hate in there. Right. And there's way too much bromance going on in that first episode for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, production values were excellent, though. So I was really concerned that the production values would be poor, but they weren't. I'll give them uh, A plus on that. Content uh, B minus and personality profile A C plus. Really, the IndyCar qualifying, if you use the skills of a good uh, producer on one of these shows, you could turn that into a fairly dramatic uh, event, right? I mean, there's always somebody that gets bumped at the last second or whatever. Uh, you get plenty of whining and crying and whinging or whatever. Um, you know, even Kirkwood crashing in the Fast Six, but you had no concept. You had no context for what was going on there, right? You're just always pushing hard, and he hits it all. And he's going for pole, right? He was fast. This guy's made it to the Fast Six. He's a rookie, and then he blows it. So I think what I'm going to do is watch it with my wife, and I think that will be the best barometer for how this thing's going to go over. She um, looked over my shoulder as I was watching the race the other day looking for Lando Norris. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she's the perfect candidate. Curb, uh, don't want to make too big a deal about this, but uh, Vice uh, appears to be going bankrupt, and it probably won't affect at least this this year of the show, right? <laughs> I mean, between this and the video game, I mean, IndyCar can choose them, can't they? You know, certain promoters over the years, yeah, they they've got a a, a magic touch. But can I go back to the the show the in the what you're trying to survive for less, whatever it's called now. Um, but despite our criticisms, do you think it's possible it still can be effective at what it's trying to, at least at what IndyCar hopes it will accomplish? Okay, well, let's dig into that um, because I'm still trying to figure out whether it got good ratings or bad ratings. So I saw a snarky tweet a day or two ago about Thursday night's ratings. Yes, which I believe I shared with you. 186,000, and they didn't like the demographic mix. Yeah, like 14% young people, which is Um, a disaster. But then I saw today that they showed it again Sunday night or something. It actually got more viewers on Sunday night than it did on Thursday night. And so the first episode, if you combine those two, got almost 400,000 viewers. And that does not include the app. That does not include what people that watch on the app. Right. You would assume most young people would watch on the app seems to me 400,000 for the first episode on CW and plus whatever on CW app streaming. And I think it's showing tonight, maybe on, on vice TV streaming or whatever. So I don't think that's all bad. Now, you know, they, they tried to compare it to 5 million viewers for try to survive. And the thing you sent me, and I just didn't think that was fair at all. I mean, it's turned into a juggernaut aided by a worldwide pandemic when nobody had anything to do but watch TV. So um, I guess we'll watch this space and, We'll just get the idea whether when uh, people like Mark Miles talk about it, whether he's genuine or he's spinning. Right. Because um, I think I can identify when he's doing either. Curb, I'd like to hop into uh, and end the podcast with just kind of a review of where we stand right now in terms of the standings who's surprising uh where they are after four races 
you know, anything that kind of sticks out, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just uh, the highlights curb of people that, uh, you know, good or bad, where they stand right now in the championship and uh, your commentary. You know, if you go down the top, the first eight names are all names you would expect to be there. Uh, ninth is Kyle Kirkwood, who is really living off of one great event. Uh, otherwise, he's been mediocre. Herder in 10th has got to be disappointing, I think. I lot. Uh, and yet, typical. In the last couple of years, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, in, in years past, or the last couple of years, you kind of chalked it up to a team thing. And right now, they seem to be better this year. Um, so I'm a little surprised at his um, lack of success so far. How about you? I agree kind of with your comment about the top eight, with a uh, possible exception of Grosjean. I didn't expect him to be kind of hanging out in fifth and looking as strong as he looks so far this year. He's, I think I'm going to label him a surprise this year. Um, Certainly the fact that uh, Herta is the third ranked driver so far among Andretti's uh, a shock in its own way. Um, I think most people would have said it was going to be Herta and no one else on that team. I think you and I said that basically. So we're wrong there. Rossi, Rosenquist, I, believe that they will move up steadily throughout the year so i'm not going to hand ring too much over them even looking at the pictures of these two on the website on the indycar website if i i challenge you to look at the both their pictures and now they're next to each other in the standings and they both look quite dour and sad and old you're talking about rosenquist and uh no i am not talking about i am talking oh. about Elio and Simone, <laughs> um, looking at their two pictures, it's just like, yeah, those guys should be like 20th and 21st. They look old and dour. Well, they've, they've earned it so far. All right. <laughs> I desperately I don't, don't want Elio to win his fifth 500. I desperately don't want that to happen. I agree. You know, I'm trying to figure out whether I like Marcus Armstrong or not. I do. <laughs> I, I, I think I do. I, I love the fact that he, you know, gets handed an award for like most. Tenth, tenth loser. Death, is, <laughs> yeah, tenth loser. I love that. I did like that. Um, yeah. I thought that was, and he got, I think in an incident earlier in the, uh, maybe in practice or something like that or qualifying. Oh, qual- it was qualifying. He held somebody up and got a penalty. But yeah. he wasn't exactly copping that, like, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. You know, he was like, eh, you know, not my fault. No, he's, I mean, but usually from a rookie that's just come in, he's going to, you know, demur and, you know, say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. But no, he didn't, he didn't back down at all. So um, I might like that guy. Jack Harvey, 23rd curb. Uh, let's just talk about the race at the bottom here, the race to be out of the leader circle money. What, what, what where do you see this? Well, uh, the first, uh, you know, 1 through 17, 130 points at the top to 65 for uh, Ray Hall in 17th place. And then there's a drop off to 47 points. So that's where I kind of drew the line. The folks that are still in the danger zone here, you've got all of Ed Carpenter racing. Daly right now, first guy on the outside. And uh, BK only nine points ahead of him. Canapino is uh, sitting there in 18th place entry-wise. Two Meyer Shank racing entries to Helio and Page, Ferrucci in 21st. Those are your folks just above the line. 
Just below the line for Leader Circle is, again, Ed Carpenter with Daly. Stingray Rob with Dale Coyne, Benjamin Peterson with Foyt, and a little bit surprising to me, dead last among full-time entries, Devlin DeFrancesco, who seems to have speed in qualifying, but uh, or maybe in practice, but never seems to put it together in the race. But you look at guys like DeFrancesco, um, maybe maybe even Daly and Ed Carpenter, Harvey with Ray Hall Letterman, you got to wonder as the season goes on whether those owners get antsy and worried about that million bucks and perhaps pull the plug and try to get somebody in there to save the day. Well, of the bottom six, I'd say the guy who has the best chance of getting out of that zone is DeFrancesco, right? Because he's just on a good team vaulting out of that bottom three than, say, Benjamin Peterson does, for example. It was interesting as I was uh, going through the Twitter at four in the morning this morning, Curb, it was almost to a man, drivers saying, can't wait for May. May's here. Thank God. You know, Connor Daly was one of them. And, and it, but all of them said the same thing. And I'm like, because they're all like pointing is that change in their fortunes is coming come May. Now, I'm no statistician, but I'm pretty sure that can't be true for everybody. <laughs> Curb, uh, just right before we sign off, just want to inform you, uh, Red Bull won another race and it was a snoozer. Yeah, what happened to Verstappen? Second. I know, but why? I mean, how could he not beat Perez? I didn't watch the race. Okay. All right, Curb, that's it. We're done. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Oh. At Hero IndyCar. At H-I-R-O IndyCar. And sponsors? Real quick, uh, HashHive. New crypto mining, mobile crypto mining app coming soon. And South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts, mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and he will give you a generous discount. All right. Uh, enjoy the weekend uh, off from uh, IndyCar Racing, and um, we'll join you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.